0: Welcome back to The Prospecting Show. Today is July 30th and we are on with Dr. Victoria Mattingly. How are you?
1: i'm good how are you today
0: very good so you know before the call we we started talking a little bit about your background and and how you know you've started your own company and and you've had a lot of experience before that but you've started your own company in in a current time that is crazy right this is like nobody's seen this from an economic standpoint from a social unrest standpoint there's a lot of things going on in the healthcare sector with everything with covid so you know maybe to start things off Let's go backwards a couple of years and talk about where, you know where you started from and, and and how you you know went through the doc your doctorate program and where you got to today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I have a lot of empathy for current graduates of right now like trying to get a job whenever the market looks like this the economy and just the current state of affairs cuz I I graduated with my undergrad in 2008 went amid our 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 next most recent you know economic downturn and how that was you know not the best time to be graduating with a bachelor's degree in psychology and so I was bartending uh, a, a fancy bar in Portland Oregon and I was like if I'm gonna you know have to bartend with my bachelor's degree I'm gonna at least you know make a bunch of money doing it so I'm working at this bar and two industrial organizational psychologists walk into my bar and tell me what they're in town doing which was essentially uh, trying to improve the employee satisfaction and commitment and loyalty to this current standing hospital because there was a new fancy hospital opening up down the street and they didn't want to lose their employees their staff to this new uh, hospital and so let me get this straight you are being paid like making a good living walking through the front door to make the lives of the employees better like the executives are hiring you to make their employees' lives better. Like, what does this field sign me up? Because I just, I see such a need for it. I, you know, I worked in service industry for 14 years. My husband's a chef. And not just one sector, but work is stressful and it is hard. And as long as there's people involved, there's always going to be uh, undue stress because of these, you know, interpersonal relations. Even just, you know, going back to restaurants, I had drunk customers, crazy coworkers, horrible bosses, and never any sort of tools or training around just like, Take a take a beat, take a deep breath. You know, research shows if you pause, give yourself a few seconds, take a few breaths, you can literally lower your cortisol levels in your body and and be less stressed, but no one teaches these things, right? So that's what really led me to go down that path and, and go to grad school and, and get my PhD in uh, organizational psychology. Uh, yeah, and I'm just I feel super, um, you know, privileged and grateful that I get to now do this work, uh, especially living and seeing the need for it.
0: Yeah, and and so when you talk about organizational psychology, in your mind, how does that differ from what maybe? other people just see psychology as right there's a lot of people who go through um you know general sciences and they do like psych 1000 right i did that before i went and became a chiropractor I know early early on it was everyone took psych 1000 doesn't matter like what kind of science you were doing that was just like a standard intermediate you know an introductory course so how does what you do differ being in the organizational space than what most people think psychology
1: is Yeah absolutely such a great question because I do not psychoanalyze people I'm not trained as a therapist a counselor of any sort I do. I have no leather chaise lounge in my office where people come and lie down and tell me their problems. Like that is nothing to do with my job. I have so much respect, and I think everyone should have a therapist that we all have. You know, doctors if we're if we're lucky enough to have insurance, which is another conversation for another day. Um, so I do not psychoanalyze. I do not do therapy, counseling, anything really one on one. And when it comes to uh, mental health, you know, like. That that should be done by a specialist and the doctor, and that's on my space. However, I do I do do coaching, right? And so that is you know one on one conversations, but it's very tailored, right? So I'm working with the client now, and their company is starting their diversity, equity, and inclusion or DEI strategy from scratch. And so how do you build that council of leaders who are going to push this out? What should be evidence based and and, and science backed metrics and measures that we should go for and make our goals, you know? And and so we talk one on one but it's very specific around goal and but there's there's mindset stuff you know like like doing D E I and i work you have to have a growth mindset and you have to have resilience because I mean, it is incremental progress with really heavy and loaded topics uh, but also the, the capacity for real sustained change like like I feel like this work genuinely is making the world a better place and you have to have the the grit and the flexibility to to pull it off. And so I do coach around that. Um, But most of my work is really at the group and and organizational level. So organizational assessment. um, So how how do you know, like, do you have an inclusive culture at your workplace? And so I can go in and measure that using survey or pulse survey or collecting, you know, interviews, focus groups, different things like that. And then also at the cohort or like small group level. So I love doing workshops and I really focus on behavior change. And training and learning and development, like that's my vehicle through which I do this work to see those DE and I outcomes and to see those, you know, more interpersonal, day to day being humans together at work sort of outcomes. Um, so that's 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 a lot of the differences. I don't think you'd see very many um, therapists going and facilitating you know keynote addresses or doing like online webinars and virtual trainings um, around these more you know business oriented topics. And I like to think you know therapy or you know, like. like psychologists in that in that regard counseling clinical they have that depth of impact with each individual person they work with and you can really you know change people's lives i have breath right so i don't think i'm gonna you know you know really i mean and who knows with the allyship work i do maybe maybe a little bit but like on the broad level like i'm not going to be changing people's lives and curing them of you know mental illnesses or like you know the, the depth of work that psychology clinical psychologists do but i can. I can have a broad impact. And if I can make the experience at work just like a little better, just a little better, then that's a win, you know? Cause like we spend a lot of, most adults spend most of their waking hours at work. And so if I can help make it a little more tolerable even more enjoyable at times, like by all means. Yeah, no, and that's that's really interesting.
0: You kind of uh, bring up those points because I think this diversity and inclusion type subcategory is is fairly new in the light of politics right it's something that's became more to the forefront people are realizing like hey now we're gonna actually have a department or a person responsible for this we're gonna actually consider some of these diversity and inclusion topics going forward in the business whereas maybe you roll back probably even as early as 10 years it was like what is that right like that that was like it wasn't recognized as something like you say worth doing right it wasn't something that they were regularly doing so what kind of things do you think have changed 10 years, 20 years, you know, in, in the past up to now, what has changed has made this become something that is is actually addressed?
1: Yeah, I think I think one big um, driving factor, generational shift in the workplace, you know, millennials, um, you know, we tend to, and this is, you know, of course, everyone is entitled to them believe, but on average, millennials tend to, you know, want and, and request and expect, you know, uh, not just necessarily only DEI, but like flexible work practices, which I would argue is under D and i because it's, it's, you know, what what can we give our employees to help them, um, you know. Bring their best selves to work, and sometimes that means having the flexibility to not have to come to work every day, you know, because you're a parent, or you, you know, just you know, it's just easier for you to not have to commute into the office. And um, but millennials want this, and they want DEI, and they want the affinity groups, and they want to feel like they have a place for you know their their unique selves at work and, and with with like-minded people and, and, and subgroups, but. Gen Z's demanding it. Like Gen Z, like there's, and like the way that our like the boomers or like our parents' generation had pensions and retirement plans and they stayed at companies for life, like that's gone now. And I think what's gonna replace it is, you know, feeling like you're doing meaningful work and that you're valued and you're seen and you're respected and heard and you can bring your best self to work every day. And I'm not saying people can just really, really just do what they want or like, you know, but just having, um, just feeling like, that you you belong at a place and you're doing work that matters and, you know, you're a respected person in your team and your company, like that is so powerful and that's what keeps people around. And it's, it's, it's not money, right? Like you can, I know, I know for a fact people take lesser paying jobs because they work at jobs that that let them be the best human that they that they want to be and have the life that they want and that's worth it and so i think you know a big part to answer your question it's competitive advantage and to you know especially for trying to get top talent and younger talent and that's really popular in the tech space because at the end of the day with tech it changes so quickly that a lot of tech companies the model is you know get people right out of college and get the most out of them and then, you know, burn and turn to get the next, you know, like keep the managers and kick the rest out. And it's, and it's not pretty, but it, you know, it, there is this talent uh, acquisition, this competitive aspect to like getting young talent and DE&I is a
0: proven way to,
1: you know, get the, you know, compete in that space. So that's one. I think another reason is look, look at our societal landscape right now. Like look at what the murder of George Floyd, you know, erupted and that was all like right under the surface, ready to boil over, right? And so and now that time has come and you know hearing hearing right now being compared a lot to people to people who experienced the civil rights movement in the '60s, and how um, very similar things are happening now. We're amidst a major paradigm shift, and um, what used to be inappropriate or like off 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 topic or taboo in the workplace, talking about things like sexism, that changed with me too. That was just four years ago, and now racism. You know, like companies putting out very um, you know the, the statements. You know, they they aren't as effective. I think they think as they would hope them to be, um, but they. St- still it's 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 significant right it's symbolic of where we're at we have companies explicitly talking about how they're going to be anti-racist and investing in that and it's because of where we are in a society and yeah this and this was always coming you know like i think say you're 2040 or right around there is expected that white will no longer be the majority race in america and that's fascinating and so like diversity is no longer uh this thing we aspire to have at companies, but it's going to be an inevitability and so companies need to know how to manage that and how to you know get the best out of it yeah and it and it's, a, it's,
0: it's interesting it because managed. i think it's one of those topics or one of those services that are it's hard to measure the short term i think with some of the stuff that you're doing right like obviously you can come in and be like okay this is the yeah. bill for the services and these are the things you implement on a technical level right or a very yeah. like transactional level but I think the other part that's really, really interesting yes. is like, what's the long-term act, impact, right? What's the, what's the um, midterm impact, right? Next five to 20 years, let's say. That's probably where your work is going to shine the most because you need the turnover, like you say, from the early stage employees to the people that are in management, the management to, to upper management, upper management to like, you know, executives, right? You got to have that flow up the chain to be able to have that change actually made. So in, in your mind, let's talk a little bit about where you see like the most change right now, right? So we talked about some of these social issues like George Floyd and some of these other, um, you know, external from work topics. What are you seeing as the most, like the number one internal issue with businesses right now from this diversity inclusion type work?
1: I, mean, I think the answer really depends on where the companies are at on their deI journey, right? And so one major change I'm seeing across, you know, companies, you know, just like industry wide or workforce route wide are companies that did not previously invest in time, energy, resources, people into DEI are now starting to for the first time. And I, you know, and I, it's funny because I feel like those companies then get like poo pooed on by the companies that have been doing it for 10 years, you know, and like, and but it's like, but it's still so significant that, you know, now leaders are having to figure out how DEI applies to their different strategic goals and how it, you know, how they can actually, you know, put it embedded in the business in a way that it's not just living in HR. And so I think that's the next that's the next change I'm seeing. is it's finally coming out of HR where it belongs. Of course, DE&I and HR are very closely aligned. You know, like there's a lot of the people work and hiring is huge. I mean, what's the best way to see more diversity in your company? Hire more diverse people. I mean, it's, it's not these are not complicated answers, They're, but it's a lot of um, it's a lot of time, as you mentioned, and it's a lot of dismantling of current systems to allow for um, outcomes that systems weren't built for. Like I, I've done a lot of work in the gender space and uh, the modern you know, office building corporate life was not built with, with women in mind. And that's not to like, you know, be an insult to men in business and that just there weren't women to build that that culture and, and, and were at a detriment because of that, you know, and so but and knowing, okay, so the answer is we'll build a gender inclusive workplace or build an inclusive workplace. So we can't burn it all down and start from scratch. <laughs> we have to actually unravel that. And so yeah, seeing seeing companies like part of that unraveling is no longer like just tasking HR with you know deI because to really see those changes, you have to see it you have to put the work in throughout the business and throughout you know all areas. and it's more, yes, it's hiring and it's training. And it's you know the education, but it's also you know, how how your business operates. What vendors are you hiring? Um, are you are you investing in a workforce that matches the the demographics of your customers? Um, you know, like companies that do DE&I right, they integrate at every level, and so I'm seeing more companies that maybe are early in their DE&I journey are now putting DEI into the business in a more strategic way, and they're going to see better outcomes as a result. So i say those are the two, two big changes and shifts I'm seeing now, but so just a lot more energy, momentum. And I think, uh, I mean, I think and I hope that DEI is no longer going to be viewed as a trend, like in 5, 10 years. It's going to be a miracle part of, you know, the way we talk about talent management, learning development. DEI. it's just going to be like part of how companies work, and it'd be like not having a marketing part of your company. You know, like like that sounds bonkers. Like how we can't be successful without marketing and, for a and business. So what do you think? I predict DE&I you know, will have like that. For, for
0: businesses who are considering this, right? There's a lot of people that have never never had this kind of service or never really gone down that pathway. How do you how does someone like that justify the investment, both from a time standpoint, an operation standpoint, and in a, a financial standpoint to do this kind of work, right? So like you talked about marketing, right? Marketing is like, hey, we put X number of dollars in, we try to get an ROI that comes out here. How do you measure, how do you suggest people measure going forward, adding these types of things to their business, given that there is a cost associated with doing them and doing them right? Yeah, so one
1: thing we know from research and, you know, what you can see in case studies with, with various you know, people who do de- companies that do DE and I right is that you have higher attention rates and so you know any good company would know what their um, typical cost of average cost of cost to hire um, rehire so you know that not only that lost time when you have to onboard someone and you only, you only start seeing an ROI it's all lost it's all sunk cost for the first three months while they're learning the company you know, doing the training and everything. And so that added, plus, you know, whatever um, recruitment efforts, you know, had to go into hiring the new person. And there's, there's a very significant cost, I've seen figures as high as three times that person's salary that you lost. And so if more, if inclusive workplaces lead to a higher retention rate, then you just do the math by cost per hire. And, you know, so that's like one way of looking at the ROI, but as you mentioned, these are long term measures, and to see the most immediate impact, you know, there's a way to do proxies, you know, there's a way to see like how much value are people getting out of DEI programming, right? You can assess a really quick, you know, not only just reaction, because like when you ask people, did you like it? I'm usually just saying, did they like the person who was up there saying stuff? Did they, were they entertained? Did they feel like they had, you know, a, a good time? Like, and that really doesn't get at you know outcomes that companies care about that translate to dollar signs and one and one way I, I try to get a proxy for this is you know are you going to use what you learned like by by what percent do you see doing some important like some essential aspect of your job better because of something you learned from this and there's costs associated with that right so there's there's clever ways you can go and but no one's doing that that calculation and like, I think we just don't want to because it's an easy way to say, oh, it doesn't fit with the business. And whenever COVID hit, you know, I'm, an, I'm a relatively business owner trying to get a business off the ground and the year 2020 will be a story for the history books for anyone trying have such empathy for entrepreneurs right now. Um, but, you know, all these DEI and i budgets just dried up when COVID hit. You know, it was like the one of the first thing to go, because um, it was viewed, not by all companies, but by a lot of companies as this like extra nice to have thing. But now it's been fascinating seeing all these budgets open up and all these new DE&I practitioners, chief diversity officers, um, you know, getting hired in. Um, the budgets are now there. And so I think it's going to be less and less reactive because, um, you know, it's as it, what we talked about before, like it's becoming more of a necessity. Um, and yeah, I just I try to help my clients see that ROI, like translated to the end like that. Um, but it's hard when you can't say diversity equals- Yeah, and, and that's where the sales process like, just gets kind of not difficult, a simple, right? I mean, we have a, uh, I
0: have a couple different companies and one of them really focuses in on business development and sales and and that's one of the things that everybody asks is like what is this going to do for either my top line what's it going to do for my profitability or what's it going to do for my bottom line right those are kind of like the three things that we they don't ask it quite that way but that's like what they're thinking right if i hire this person it makes me more money there yes there's an expense but there's a profit right and so like a lot of these decisions that i'm seeing people make are very financial especially like you said at the peak of covid it was very much so like we have x amount of money and now we have less than x amount of money where do we spend that is it on labor is it on diversity is it on um you know systems is like you know zoom okay. went through the roof because you know as a tool that is now necessary for the workplace and it's like i don't know what the exact numbers are but i would imagine that zoom use is probably up like 3 to 4 times uh, you know it's crazy right but in in their in their platform is something that oh yeah has been around. Up. people they're have known up. about it people have seen yeah. the value of it but it just hasn't been adopted until it was forced adoption which was hey you can't come to work anymore right you got to work from home so do you see a time like in the future here how do yeah. people change and how do people get into seeing that this is important i think people realize it's important i think the The problem now is maybe justifying cost is maybe where the people get hung up with it. So like what in your mind, right? You talked about some of the ROI metrics and the ways that you you can help businesses. But, you know, do you think more companies are going to do it, you know, and kind of involve themselves with diversity inclusion? Or do you think more companies are willing to spend money? Like what kind of trends are you seeing now that we're kind of coming out of COVID? I'm
1: definitely seeing more, more spending in general. I'm seeing a lot more um, hiring of internal positions. So not only just chief diversity officers, but like directors of diversity, you know, vice president level, you know, reporting either directly to the CEO, which I would argue is even better than reporting even to the CHRO, but like, you know, embedding people high up in the organization this work. Uh, I'm definitely seeing, uh, I've seen an outpour of um, buying, in the area of, you know, particularly DE&I practitioners, like externally, who are people people of color, um, black speakers, black facilitators, I think that's phenomenal. Um, and I, I'm, I'm optimistic that that work's gonna continue. I think particularly for the first point, if, if, if companies are hiring those internal roles, they're gonna need vendors, they're gonna need support, or, You know. At, or or they're going to grow their team underneath that internally or ideally a combination of both so um i predict i predict you know the spending that we saw the bump you know in the current landscape and you know its investment in this you know corporate uh commitment to anti-racism and ending racial you know disparities uh particularly in, in the workplace in their realm of in their sphere of influence um and yeah, I, I would be shocked if that just disappeared. You know, like next month.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, absolutely. So, to to kind of like wrap everything together and, and kind of finish this up because I like to keep the episodes fairly short. You know. Talk a little bit about who your ideal customer is. So the people who listen to the podcast, they can have a good idea of who that is. And then tell us how we can reach you, right? Like phone number, email, website, some way that people can reach out to you if they're interested in kind of having a conversation about how they could implement your skill set into their business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my ideal customer are just, um, you know, mid to small size, mid mid company to small size enterprise um, that are investing in DEI and they want to use metrics and evidence-based, you know, experience to build out those solutions. So whether it's coming up with a strategy or figuring out how how does one assess inclusion at their organization, um, really wanted to get some some data behind what should be done and also some of those solutions as well. So um, and the big one is is anything with allyship. So I do a lot with allyship training, um, both at the executive level and at you know the, the leader and employee level. So uh, those would be, um, you know, just some solutions for my ideal customer, anyone you know, looking to get some extra help and support around the important crucial DE and I work they're doing internally at this time. Uh, best way to get in touch with me is on my website, mattinglysolutions.com. Um, and then you could also like, please, I love connecting on LinkedIn. I try to be pretty active on There, so um, that's Victoria Mattingly, PhD, on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, and feel free just, just to reach out anytime. I love chatting about you know diversity, equity, inclusion. It's really my passion, and you know, it's so it's a type of work. It's worth doing. It's going to make the world a better place. I know it.
0: Yeah. So th- thank you so much for coming on the show. I think this is probably one of the most unique episodes in the fact that what you're doing is not something that there's tons of people doing yet. Right? It's it's very specific, very focused, very niche, uh, if you would. And I think as time goes on, we'll probably look back at the show and be like, okay, yeah, there's more people doing this in two, three years. Right. And so I appreciate you coming on like very early adopter, kind of like really pivoting in this time and kind of moving through. And and, and you have a new skill set that people are definitely going to be using, uh, you know, with these businesses as they continue to grow. So thank you so much for coming on to the show. Um, And and I'm really looking forward to hearing the, the feedback from the listeners.
1: Thanks for having me.